Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Just smart enough to know better. A podcast of science. Comedy. And ignorance. I'm Greg Bois. And I'm Dan Beeston. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, we are going to be talking about some very... Oh, how, do I, how do I introduce this without blowing the whole thing? Uh, I, I think it's space different. beer. Space I think... beer. <laughs> I, I don't care about blowing the whole thing. That's right. Now we'll make them wait for space beer. But before we get there, what happened to you this week in science? I found something really interesting this week in science for about the scientific method and even if you do science correctly, it can still be wrong. Not because the scientific method's wrong, but because you didn't understand what it was trying to teach you. Well, so you're probably an lot... idiot. You're an no, idiot, no, aren't still... you? You're an idiot. There's Bloody monkeys of... with, with glass vials and Bunsen burners. They don't know what they're doing. They keep setting themselves alight. That's right. They, keep, they just keep massively writing Shakespeare over and over again. It's just useless. Shakespeare's been done. Stop writing more Shakespeare. I, we don't I, need any more bloody Shakespeare. I bet I'm yelling too loud for this. You normally do. So it's, Yeah, that's uh... it. All right. But, well, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> but this came down to something you may have heard, uh, listeners may have heard of something called the marshmallow test. Yeah. So the marshmallow test, for those who don't know, Dan, explain the marshmallow test to us. Okay, the marshmallow test, you get a kid and you you force them to eat so many marshmallows to get diabetes. (laughs) No, no, no. And then you study the diabetes. No, no, you kind of missed the point here, Dan. And you say, do you want, okay, you can have one diabetes now. Yes. Or if you wait, you can have two diabetes. And like kids well, with young kids, little kids, they're like, no, I want all the diabetes right now. But older kids are like, no, no, I'd like to wait for my diabetes. I'd like to use right. both of my feet for a while before you have to amputate them. So basically, Dan, I mixed some up two words, stories here, haven't I? I think so, yeah. Like you're almost correct without actually saying anything useful at all. So that's pretty good. That sounds um, like smart enough to know better. <laughs> so the idea of the real marshmallow test, you take a four-year-old so they can start making decisions. Go, hang on, hang on. I'll go take a four-year-old. Be right back. Yeah, back <laughs> and that's how we lost Dan from the podcast. So you take a four-year-old and you put him on a table and you say, here is a marshmallow or something they really like. So it doesn't have to be marshmallow. He won't stop crying. Crying. He won't stop crying. What the, what the is, hell is wrong? Is this your guy? son? Is this your podcast son? No, he died, didn't we? Kill the podcast son. Yeah, he yeah, died. no, I took someone else's. Jason. Oh, okay, it's fine. Well, thank goodness we have a new podcast, Stolen oh. Child. That's great. Anyway, you have a marshmallow. You sit down your four-year-old in front of the marshmallow, and you say to them, I'm going to leave the room for five minutes. If you don't eat this marshmallow in the next five minutes, I will give you two marshmallows. Wait, uh, so you the mean kid, so I end up with three marshmallows? No, 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 you will, I will give you this one and another one. But you've already given me this one. Well, yes, but you, you eat that one, then I will hand you another okay, one. Okay, I've eaten that one. Well, then that's the one you get. Sorry? When do I get the next one? You, as I said, when he came back. Anyway, making it very confusing. Science uh, doesn't work. So the point of this is, if you sit, if you basically delay gratification, if you don't uh, eat this marshmallow, then we give you another marshmallow at the end of it. Now, then they started doing longitudinal studies based on the children that could hold gratifications, that could wait, how would their lives change? And what was really interesting is it was really positive. Like, if you could not eat the marshmallow, you were physically fitter later in life, you did better at school, you probably earned more money as well, and basically all these sort of success rates around your life, you 
you're going to just do better in life. That was just the way it was. Mm-hmm. So if you did eat the marshmallow, then you're doomed to be a fat sack of stupid crap. Basically, that was the that was the way yeah. of it. That's, that's the harsh way of looking hedonistic at hedonistic lifestyle for me, my friend. But this wasn't just one off. This is like shown over again and again, and it was really harsh because it's face it. And you can go on the internet and you can watch lots of these videos of children freaking out and eating marshmallows or not eating marshmallows. Oh my god, it's so good. Oh, watching these poor, like, six-year-olds just driven insane by the prospect. They're, like, pressing their mouth up to the marshmallow knowing that they can't eat it, that they've told themselves (laughs) they're not going to eat it. Oh, it's... Oh, there are discomforts. The ones who fail, uh, you go, oh, the the studies seem to show that your life is going to be worse. Oh, yeah, you're you're and, and so it's really sad because you're a parent of a child who just like, oh, marshmallows, oh, you go, oh, well, we might as well give up on this one because yeah. the life's going to be heroin gonna be rubbish. addict. Yeah. And so it's all done. Now, that was one way of looking at it. But then someone else came and said, look, is that actually the right answer? It seems to follow a scientific method. You have variables, you have a hypothesis, you follow it, and then it leads to outcomes. But... Someone said, have we checked all the variables? Oh, what variables did we miss? What variables did we miss? And the variables that seems to be missed in the late studies maybe, is... Maybe the, kid, maybe the kid didn't hear? Well, maybe. No, you take maybe some account. kids were hungrier than other kids. And who, why, I think that's the important one. Who is normally hungrier than another kid? Starving kids. Kids who haven't been looked after properly. Like this and, and, little girl I just kidnapped. <laughs> That's right. Yes. So, and normally I'm doing her a favor, Greg. <laughs> and can, I just, can I just reassure our audience that Greg, Greg sounds like he's laughing, but in his eyes, I can tell he's just as frustrated by my interjections as you are. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, it's true. <laughs> Every day of my life. Basically, these kids normally come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. They're poorer kids. And when you take into account whether or not the child comes from a poorer background or not poor background. They've never even seen a marshmallow. Well, well it's These the marshmallow. These little, the, like, the marshmallow preppy test brats who seem, just live in marshmallow houses. The marshmallow test doesn't seem to show anything. That's the really interesting bit. If you just take kids from middle class or rich kids or all poor kids and you, you mix them in socioeconomic background, there is no actual indicator how good or bad their life is going to be. So what you were really seeing was a kid who comes from a poor background is more likely to eat the marshmallow and a kid who who comes from a, a richer background is less likely to eat a marshmallow because they know there's going to be more marshmallows coming down the pipe at them if they're richer. This is just wasn't something they thought of. It took, it took someone else to kind of go, wait, are we testing for socioeconomic backgrounds? So even if a test points out something is true, make sure that all your variables have been taken care of. Make sure that you've actually asked the right questions because really the marshmallow test wasn't asking does self-gratification make you have a better life what it means is do all kids from all backgrounds have the same level of want and until we worked that out well we couldn't even ask the right question so yeah there's something to that it's the science didn't break down as you said before the dumb monkeys broke down basically i mean it still is an indicator that they come from that poor socioeconomic background isn't it it does, it is, but that's not what it was testing for. They weren't, they weren't trying to do a marshmallow test to test for who so was poor or they not. Were try- yeah, they were trying to say, oh, there's an innate hedonistic attitude that people have. Yes. It's, like, it's not innate, it's part of their 
Yes. And I think it gave a very dangerous idea. What they said was it, it, it gave credence to the idea that if you if you really work hard and fly straight, you'll pull yourself by your bootstraps. And even if you're poor, you're going to do OK. because you had the ability to overcome self-gratification, delayed gratification, and therefore you can become rich and powerful and the president of the United States of America. Well, I didn't get and, that at all. What I got from it is they were trying to say, oh, well, there's something innate you're born with that will make you successful or not successful. Yes. And that's yes, no, no, yes. dangerous because yes. everyone can change. We're, our brilliant monkey brains are so plastic. We're not like a chipmunk. Chipmunks no. are dumb as posts. But exactly. we, we can learn stuff like French. Yes. I mean, not me and personally. Just, or just by but... giving the opportunities. I mean, you could. Be, there's no point pointing at someone and saying they failed and they failed because they were born to fail, which is what this marshmallow test would cost, would technically say, the original version of it. This person was born to fail because they couldn't learn delayed gratification. But no, actually, the new version says, well, that's just bullshit. If you gave that same child the opportunities that a rich child had, they were the same chance, which is random, mm. <laughs> 50, random chance uh, to do well. The spill of the dog. If you, Strangely uh, enough, if I can stretch the metaphor. Giving kids more opportunities in life gives them more chances to succeed, not whether or not they're innately born with the ability for delayed gratification. And also more faith that adults aren't just lying to them. Oh, I always assume that at every opportunity. Everyone's always lying at every opportunity. <laughs> that's why that's why Craig's been doing this, but every second breath he's been shoveling in another marshmallow. That's, 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 it's oh, sweet diabetes. I'll have twice the di- diabetes of you, my hedonistic friend. I intend to have di- type 7 diabetes. I'm going to invent it myself. <laughs> Look, I am sick to death of all of these fudging scientists that you're talking about boring space rocks whipping by or bloody buildings made of wood or just just the dullest just sciencey stuff. I want something exciting, Greg. Find me an exciting oh, yes. person to interview. That's it. Done. I'm actually very excited by this interview. This this interview. Well, is it a good one? Up. I mean, obviously, I I've blown that in the sizzle, but is it a good one? I don't know what who we're interviewing next. I really liked it with because it's it hasn't new, happened yet. Don't say it in the past tense. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. It's very Australian. You are, you're, and you're doing a terrible job of keeping the magic alive. There's no magic here, Dan. We've been doing it for eight years. This we, we, seven year itch has kicked in. There's no magic anymore. <gasps> sorry. You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an amazing interview. It's very Australian. I love entrepreneurship that leads to it leads to a good idea. I love the fact it's a business. I love every part of this interview. I enjoy the person we talked to. I, there was no part of this I didn't enjoy doing, so I hope that the listeners like it as much as I did. Indeed. All right, well, let's take a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Jaron Mitchell, the chief of Chief Beers and the founder of Four Pines Brewery. Hello, Greg, Jared. How are you, Greg? How are you going, Dan? How are you going? Doing really well. Doing very excited. Between both of us, between I love space and Dan loves beer. So between us, this is going to be an interesting interview. Yeah, but I'm sober, Greg. Yeah. I'm oh, stone man. cold sober. We're interviewing in the middle of the day, and my morning vodka has worn off. <laughs> yeah, we've we've got a whole bunch of responsible service of alcohol stuff we have to comply to now as brewers. So I'll let you guys make those jokes. Not <laughs> No, fair enough. That's fair. It's perfectly fair enough. Yeah, I've I've, I've got my irresponsible <laughs> service of alcohol. No, no, we don't. Not a thing. Okay, okay. Jaron, you are one of the founders, as you said, of Four Pines Brewery. But you're doing something pretty impressive. You're creating something for the space age. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, a bit of a work in progress over the last 
probably eight or so years. But as you guys said before, there's lovers of beer out there and there's lovers of space. Well, you know, we're beer guys that, that love space and, and we happen to have a space engineer who was a, a local customer at our brew pub and he loved beer. And one day, without me even actually knowing that he was a space engineer and a pretty well, world-renowned space engineer at that, he's just casually leaned over the bar as he's walking out for the day and he says, oh, how would you like to put your beer in space? <laughs> this was eight years ago. And, and I sort of stopped and, and paused and thought about it for a second and said, yeah, sure, why not? And then, and then as I say, the rest is history. So it's been a, a labour of love and we're, you know, multiple space flights or zero-G flights, I should say, out of Cape Canaveral now, <laughs> testing the technology because there's, there's three real challenges we have. It's how beer, alcohol and, and liquid perform in space because it obviously, you know, gravity changes. It's how the human responds to drinking alcohol in zero gravity and also carbonated beverage in zero gravity. Mm-hmm. Again, being different how it does on Earth and, and also how do you dispense that liquid because you don't have gravity to grab liquid out of a, a bottle, for example, that we're used to doing on Earth. So it's actually a very, very technically challenging project that we're, we're undergoing. So it seems to me that the biggest question is, how does the beer know where the bottom of the glass is? Because that's where the bubbles come from. Like, is, is that a crucial yeah, well, actually, thing? Yeah, it actually doesn't. And on Earth, it doesn't either. It's just, it's guided by the hands of gravity. So with there being no, and, and let's get fast forward right ahead to the bottle technology. So it's probably the fourth thing that we had to, the fourth problem that we had to solve in in this um, you know, ongoing journey. And oh, Jaron, uh, in- Jaren, before, before we explain the bottle, can I just, just point out, we realise we haven't said the name of the product yet. This is Vostok Space Beer. So for the listeners who yeah, are interested, yeah. so Vostok Space Beer is what we're talking about. This is an actual beer being designed to be taken into space and consumed seriously by, alco- by alcoholics? No, <laughs> by, by, as- by astronauts. Astroholics. Astroholics, that's right. Well, and, and let's and rather than skipping ahead to the to the glass, let's stay like I'm, I obviously I'm excited and I'm going to jump all over the place, but maybe we should do this in linear straight order. Yeah, okay. Which already I'm saying that's going to be a challenge with you guys. That's fine. <laughs> uh, we'll give it a go. Um, no, no. So let's go to the why, right? Why why are we doing this? Because then then that's usually where the penny drops into the aha moment for people. So you, you guys said before that this is you know for astronauts, and in fact it's not at all. It's going to be for space tourists because obviously tourism is beginning to hump in space. And without the first space flight having undergone by you know SpaceX or Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin, among you know many other competitors that are starting up. There's already more people with deposits paid than have been the total amount of humans that have been in space over the last 58 years of human history. Sure. So I suppose that goes to show the, the exponential growth that's about to happen with who's going to go in space. It's like the Wright brothers you know, back in you know, early 1900s France, right? For several years, there was only a handful of people that had flown in aeroplanes Mm-hmm. And if you had said to someone, oh, in 30 years' time, you'll be flying from Paris to New York, it would say, oh, you're crazy. Whereas in 30 years' time, there was tens of thousands of people flying, right? And that's now how we get all around the world today. So if you fast forward 20 years' time, I've got no doubt that the plans for the space hotels that they've already got, you know, akin to the International Space Station and you know, going up for a weekender in space, going for a joy flight, whatever it might be, will be commonplace as getting on a plane in the 1930s from Paris to New York. So 
that's sort of the, the fast forward thing and so that's that's happening and it's it's the next evolution of tourism i suppose and and also you know humanity and where we end up uh, as a species but then well, what where does alcohol and in particular, where does beer fit into this whole thing? In my mind, Darren, I mean, once you've had the mouth-drying experience of being blasted into space, I'm going to want something to drink. This is the thing, right? And everywhere humanity has gone, everywhere that we've conquered and, you know, we've encountered new lands, the order of what we search for is food, water, shelter, clothing, and then it's pretty much beer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that has been evident through thousands and thousands of years of how humanity has spread itself around the planet. Mm -hmm. And now that we're going to look to becoming a, an extraterrestrial species, that trend will certainly follow so long as humans are the ones driving it. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it, 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 we've got a priest pre in about six or 7,000 years. So I don't think that's going to go away. And so we, we already know and we've already had requests from, you know, some of these very, very early space tourists. Hey, we, we heard what you guys are doing. We love it. When and how can we get some beer up there? So that's what we're now. <laughs> and I'm assuming you just like. can't go find your favourite microbrew and just put it in a bottle and send it into space. That that's not that easy, is it? No, no, absolutely not. So that I suppose then we get into the actual science of what happened. So the first and foremost thing was the, the safety of people drinking alcohol, for that matter, in in space. And so we all know that we get a bit more tipsy when we drink alcohol on a commercial flight at altitude. Right. So there, oh, yes. never, so there had never actually been a formal study on what does alcohol do to the human body when it's <laughs> under zero gravity conditions. Oh wow! So we had to, yeah. So we had, we were the very first research group to ever do that, and the first guy that signed himself up to do this test in Cape Canaveral, we we had to do a medical ethics review in <laughs> the US and Australia. Like peer reviewed, we had to get sign off from the FAA. We had to send a member from the FAA up with our astronaut, and it was actually an astronaut that, that did it. So <laughs> it was it was the biggest job, just in case. And, and this guy had to essentially sign his life away. So we were very confident nothing would happen. Uh, nothing <laughs> die, I should say. We're going to kill him. <laughs> it's a whole. You don't want to be the person who killed an astronaut with beer. That would be bad. And astronauts, are, no, but... like, they've got to be tough and rugged and they go through a lot of testing and stuff. And what I know from what, what having watched The Simpsons is that they're not supposed to drink. So could it be that all of the astronauts are, like, lightweights? What I know from The Simpsons, I wouldn't really apply to, <laughs> you know, science. All right. But... Sensible. Sensible. <laughs> Write that down. But I, I wouldn't be grabbing a Simpsons a manual to operate a nuclear power plant. But <laughs> good point. Good point. No. <laughs> but no, and that was one of the, uh, the the more subjective kind of questions or tests that we had to put the applicants through. Is you know what was their attitude towards beer, and did they enjoy drinking beer? And that's a it's pretty tough to find out how much somebody really does enjoy drinking beer, and, and how how much good. <laughs> data we can get from the from their consumption experience. I do tend to under-report. <laughs> so no, so that, that was something that we, we had to find out. So so that was the first challenge. Is it going to be safe? Will it harm humans? And the did, you actually no. write a, did you write a paper about it? Yeah, there's plenty of research oh, um, wow. okay. guys have, have produced. Uh, obviously, how it sort of works is we take care of everything beer, and Jason, who was that um, space engineer who said to me at the bar, how would you like to put your beer in space? He's the lead 
uh, it's his space engineering company that's taking care of all the space stuff. Is that so, Saber Technologies? Is that correct? Saber Astronautics, yeah. Saber Astronautics. Yeah, yes. so they're, they're doing all of the the space and the research-related stuff. Yeah, in time, absolutely, there will be. I have no <laughs> doubt there'll be published papers on, on, on you know, the studies that we've undertaken, which is awesome. Of course. So then that's the whole safety thing, right? And then the next thing is, what about the comfort? Now we're on Earth, when you burp, the liquid stays down, the gas comes up, just the way mm. that, you know, your body responds with gravity, et cetera. Whereas in space, both the gas and liquid stay down and both the gas and liquid come up. With oh. the other yeah, without <laughs> the effect of gravity. Now, that's what's referred to as a wet burp. So if you fast forward to that space hotel and that, you know, zero gravity space bar with everybody floating around having a good time, boogieing to the music and <laughs> having a couple of drinks, the last thing that we would have wanted was a, a bar full of people wet burping, right? <laughs> so, free, free floating wet, bur- wet burps is not going to add to the evening. No, not at all. No, absolutely not. So, so we had to modify and tweak the beer itself so that, you can drink it and it, it's also comfortable. So that was the second challenge that we had to endure. There's a whole lot of, I mean, part of beer is, of course, mouthfeel and, and all those sort of terms. So I guess you can't just yeah. say, well, no carbonation. You've got to go, no, it's got, it's, it's got to have bubbles. Correct. It's got to have that feel of beer. And that's right. Otherwise, it becomes unrecognizable and it's no longer beer. So that's mm. exactly right. So stripping out carbonation entirely, that, you know, that doesn't cut the mustard. So we certainly reduced the carbonation to an extent, but then there was a, a few other things that we had to do, you know, with the beer itself to be able to perform as, as a beer. And But then the other thing was, well, what about how does the, the human actually get affected and, and how does taste and things like that? So uh, in space, when you your head swells, your tongue swells, it sort of feels like you get a bit of a head cold, and that's just due to the blood, you know, no longer rushing around your body the same way that it does on Earth. Right. So what... What astronauts have done for years is handfuls of salt, bottles of Tabasco sauce to try and generate some flavour in their food because they lose sensitivity in, in their tongue. Oh, right. So, well, okay. And this is yeah. this happens in uh, commercial flights as well, doesn't it? Is that the case, is it? I, I heard no that, they, that the reason that airline food tastes so repulsive is because because your taste buds change at that, at that altitude and at that pressure. And that if you tasted some airline food on the ground, it would taste quite different. I'm not aware of that one way or the other, but maybe that's that's the first step of then what it ends up being like in space. Perhaps. Yeah. So yeah. So as a consequence, you need you send just a stock standard beer up, stock standard lager that you know most people on Earth drink, and because of that lack of sensitivity in the tongue and the palate, it's almost going to taste like water. Right. So yeah, we we played around with a whole bunch of different recipe combinations, hops, malt, you know, different colours of malt, different hop varieties and how we use them and their intensity and, you know, so on and so forth. And we found that it was the stout, the, the, the stout beer was the base, the best baseline version on Earth to then evolve into the space beer. <laughs> right. Okay. And, uh, it's a space stout. And what, yeah, exactly. So the Vostok space beer, the, the Earth version of that is the four pine stout. And, and, and what that came down to was the big, rich, dark, roasted malts kind of cut through that lack of sensitivity in the tongue, but there wasn't some huge bitterness that made it all kind of whack and unbalanced. And so it's, it still sort of had drank like a, a nice beer. So that was sort of the human and the, the liquid challenges that we had to encounter. 
taste-wise, if you drank Vostok space beer on Earth, would it still be something pleasurable to drink, or is it only really for space? It's still fine, but it's not as good. Like, I'd be drinking the Four Pines Stout any day. Right. So yes. the, what the, the baseline version of most consumables are going to space. It's sort of saying, what is the thing that we started with on Earth? And what we started with on Earth was the Four Pines Stout, and then we made tweaks and we tweaked further and we tweaked in you know, another direction. And then that became, if you like, the Vostok space beer. I yeah. see. When, you, when I refer to the, the baseline version, that's what that is, that, that original, the generation one product that we consume on Earth. Mm. So okay. so to that end, the same way that you absolutely want a space beer specifically designed for space in space, you'd want a beer specifically designed for Earth on Earth. <laughs> yes. So, so as a consequence, it's still... It's still drinkable. It's still fine, but it's not nearly as good as, as drinking the original thing that was designed for mm. Earth conditions. That's all good and well, but now we've got the, the challenge. So what astronauts have done for you know, the last half a century or more is when they've drank water and juice and coffee, et cetera, they've drank out of like camelbacks and squeeze bottles and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. However, a tourist who at the moment the going rate for a space flight is somewhere around a quarter of a million bucks. A tourist who's paid a quarter of a million bucks for space flight, they're not exactly going to be given a squeezy bag of beer and go, here you go, here's your beer for the flight to, you know. (laughs) And and that's the difference between any time we've got early explorers in Columbus's day or Captain Cook or whatever it might be, you, you know, you guys just have to go out and just make do with what you've got. And then when the civilians come behind, then that's when the creature comforts are sort of brought to yeah. play. It, I guess it also <laughs> makes you feel less uh, less alone, less far away from home because you've got a few things around you. Exactly, yeah. And that's actually one of the things with astronauts that spend six months at a time on the International Space Station, that morale and loneliness, all of those sort of things are, are what space agencies around the world are actually trying to solve. Yeah. You know, what, are the, what are the things that make this new world feel more like where you've came from and musical instruments and board games and other things that are, that are familiar from home, right? That's, that's what they bring in. So I've always felt as long as I've access to the internet, I'd be fine. And someone said, you've got all the YouTube videos, you've got access to all the stuff you want to download. I'd be absolutely fine at that point. And as long as I can take up my dumbbells and can do a little bit of weightlifting up there, I'm going to be happy too. <laughs> well, you'd be able to lift a lot more as well. So you'd, you'd be feeling, you'd be feeling strong, you know, yeah. with no gravity. So. Um, Yeah, so so we're now crossing over where the early explorers, the 530-odd astronauts and cosmonauts that have been into space over the last 58 years, we're now crossing over into that territory where, okay, well, we sussed out the the early stages. Now we're going to bring the civilians behind and they're actually going to enjoy themselves up here. Yes. So the civilians aren't going to, you know, they're not going to settle for a, a squeezy bag or a camelback with beer inside, right? So we've had to design a bottle that actually feels like drinking a, a bottle of beer on Earth. Yeah. Uh, except you can take that you can take it up into space and you can drink it in space. Now, now I, I, I can already see there's tons of problems here because you open it and it all just leaks out. I mean, a normal bottle, like just if you just open a bottle in space, it all just sort of floats away. Uh, the carbonation goes crazy. It's you know it would spurt everywhere in my mind. It would be you know it, it could be very bad very quickly. Well, it's actually the opposite. It, it oh, right. can't get it out. <laughs> oh, right. 
Yeah. That's even worse. So, yeah, correct. So there's a, there's a famous piece of footage from the 1970s, and, and they never actually worked it out until this time. They'd you know, been going to space by this time for 15 or so years. And uh, there's a Russian astronaut trying to get some coffee out of a fixed volume cup. Uh, and this is before they just worked out, hey, you know, let's just squeeze it or whatever. And, and he's there trying to lick it out of the, like a cat to a saucer <laughs> for about 15 minutes trying to get this coffee out of the cup. And, and whether he turned it up, whether he turned it upside down and he shook it or it, there's no way you could get that out. And the reason for that is, is on Earth as we fill, as we fill up a, a cup or a vessel or whatever, we get to the, the top and we can go a little bit beyond the top and you get the meniscus because of the surface tension. You know right. what I'm talking about? Yep. Yes, yes. Yep. Yep. We know we're all up on meniscus. Yep, so surface tension exists wherever you are, right? Problem is, is surface tension in space is always more than gravity because gravity is zero. So, <laughs> so if you if you turn the cup to ninety degrees to one hundred and eighty degrees, that surface tension is pushing the liquid back up into the cup or, or the or the <laughs> vessel or whatever it is. Oh dear! As far away from the opening as possible. Well, that's the complete opposite to what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So even if you even if you shake the thing, you, you can't get it out because the surface tension's there. So we've had to create a, uh, a mechanism and design with the space beer bottle so we can actually get beer to be delivered to the tourist or the consumer's mouth. Do they have um, to suck on it? Is like a did like, go, like make a suction? No, or, no. Oh, that, right. We didn't want them to be sucking anything. We didn't want them to be squeezing anything. We wanted the same feeling. Going back to what you were saying before about that comfort and that familiarity as they have on Earth. So we actually got inspired by how big ships out at sea, you know, rocking and rolling over waves, how the the fuel is delivered to the engine. So that's the the sort of technology and the mechanisms that kind of we went through. So I I, I just want to stop you there. What what was the thought process? Because I would not have thought of that as my go-to place. I get beer out of a bottle in space. I know. I'll think about Diesel engines at sea. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't me that had the shower moment. I usually sing in the shower. I'm, I'm too busy singing to actually think about things like that. But you know, it was definitely one of the people on Jason's team. Could have been very well Jason himself. And just had that kind of aha sort of a moment. That's that is that is a and, true uh, eureka moment. It's great. It's brilliant. So is it kind of like a like a like a pump or a squeeze a squishing? No, no, thing, no, no. Or? It's sort of essentially like a, a wicking mechanism it creates it basically creates like a wicking and and when you put the bottle to your lip you break the surface tension and you become one giant object if you like and and the (laughs) the beer then flows to the mouthpiece where you can drink it like you can on earth that is so cool i've always always wanted to become one with my beer (laughs) yeah no it's 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 very very cool actually so Yeah, so they're the four challenges that we've had to encounter and solve, and they're all solved now. Now the, the challenge is putting uh, all of those things together, more so with the bottle itself. You know, you don't just go down to the local bottle manufacturer and say, hey, how about you whip up that, that space beer bottle for us? We've actually <laughs> yeah. had to go and find four different manufacturers to kind of have glass because glass shatters on space, if, if glass mm-hmm. shatters on a 
spaceship it sort of goes everywhere. It doesn't just go to the ground, you know. So oh, can you imagine glass shards in like in free floating? <laughs> oh, you can't. The point is that it's just not allowed. Period. Yeah. In space. So you know, we had to go to four different manufacturers around the world and have these bespoke little things designed. You know, we've we've had what do you call them? Those pre-pressed mock sort of things done and samples and blah blah blah. But now. We have to get into the proper die casts and molds and you know, get the particular tooling done. So we're now getting to the, the very, very kind of expensive business end of things. Mm. So that's, that's kind of now the next phase is putting all of that together and then one day having a space beer that I can say to you guys, yep, here's a, beer, <laughs> a bottle of beer that you can take to space and you know you can drink it. That's amazing. What I love most about the story is it's not just a, a, a random idea that one day you're going to do. You're well along. You've done real tests. You've got amazing designs, and it's something that's going to happen. It's not It's not pie in the sky. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, it's beer in the sky for sure. <laughs> it's rye in the sky. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's many years, many hours, and many thousands, you know, talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in now. Yeah, so we're dinking about it. There's no, there's no question about that. You know, we just keep on charging and yeah, putting the pieces together as we go. So once the Vostok space beer is being drunk in space, I keep thinking the next thing, like with SpaceX, with Elon Musk and all the rest, going to Mars is a thing, and that's going to probably happen by 2030 or 2040, humans going to Mars. Do you think that you'd start creating, that Four Pines will start creating a Mars beer? Yeah, maybe. I mean, just one one step at a time at the moment. I'm not that I'm not that forward thinking. You, know, I can only think in, <laughs> you, you were talking in lots of twenty years, and I can only think in lots of ten years. So, um, <laughs> oh, but being, I suppose, truly innovative and not just saying it and putting it up on a, as a word on a whiteboard in a meeting room. You know, trying to push the boundaries and and continuing to think about what beer could be and how consumers could experience beer, whether that be through our brew pubs and you know the different things we do in our brew pubs or you know, whether it be the different beer releases we bring out, you know, we've got one at the moment, it's called a, what we're calling our Big Breakfast Porter, and there was, you know, Big Bix and Milo um, and lactose, in the, you know, and, and just, it's like, stunning, you know. So it's continuing to push the realm of what beer could be. Yeah. Um, and it's only, a, it's only a very, very tiny part of our overall business, mm. but it keeps us interesting as a beer company and as an innovator and, and not getting too stale either. And it keeps, I mean, our drinkers, you know, really engaged and excited. It keeps our brewers and the rest of the people that work at Four Pines engaged and excited because there's always something around the corner. So this whole space beer thing has been you know, absolutely perfect and right in the slot for the kind of things that, that we do as a, as a beer company. So, so if Elon Musk, you know, Elon Musk is listing, he should definitely get in contact with you then about uh, your product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure if Elon Musk is listening, that'd be great to, that'd be great to chat with him. Uh, unfortunately, um, he's already sent his designated driver into space. Hey, so have, have your conversations ever gone not just to drinking beer in space, but to brewing it in space and what sort of challenges you might have there? No, no. There's there's other guys that are doing that. They're not doing the whole picture, but there's different people doing different parts of the picture. Uh-huh. But I suppose the analogy that we use or, or the best example is when the English went to colonialise parts of India in the early 1800s, there was actually a, a lot of troop morale problems because there was no beer. There was no there was beer, but there was no fresh there was no fresh beer. It wasn't surviving the voyage from England. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they one of the brewers did they said, "Hang on, hops are this natural preservative. If we put more hops in, 
they had some more malt and some more sugar anyway. They played around with it and they went, oh, we've we finally got this thing which was pale ales prepared for India or the IPA, Indian pale ale. Oh, that right. Was what, yeah, that was, that's how that beer came to be. And then these barrels of beer were then surviving a three or four month voyage. The troops were happy because they had drinkable beer and that, that was part of how they could stay there for so long, right? So going back to that original 20,000 years of humanity going food, short, food shelter, water, clothing, beer, there's, there's countless examples, you know, through Europe in the post-medieval days and you know, then you go back to, you know, Roman times and Egyptian times. It just keeps on, you know, the stories are, they put beer as responsible for one of the the catalyst for the Industrial Revolution from cooling technology. <laughs> they put they put beer as beer came before bread, right? Because you know, making beer the liquid with wild fermentation yes. uh, is actually quite actually quite easy. Yeah, whereas <laughs> bread that actually then required a heating process. So they put bread. It happened about five or ten thousand years after beer. People were just drinking. You know, this is back sort of twenty, thirty, forty thousand years ago. They were they were just drinking kind of like a, a brothy beverage, mm, um, yeah. and then and then they put it down. To someone accidentally left something near a fire overnight and it sort of, you know, and the yeast took and, and started forming a solid. And so. <laughs> I'm, so I'm they, always shocked by this when someone goes, hey, 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 Dan, you should, you should eat that solid that just appeared next to the fire. The thing is, <laughs> yeah, you'll eat right. anything if you're hungry. I uh, guess so. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it's almost, it's well accepted now that, you know, beer. Came before bread and I must admit, you know, Dan, hey Dan, that that like your home brew. You're you're sort of like frothy. You should put it next to a fire and make bread. It, it sounds, sounds like, like my breakfast a... plan: <laughs> beer before bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they say uh, they also put beer down to one of the reasons why we stopped being hunter gatherers and actually started stopped and start began farming and and growing crops. <laughs> oh and, wow! Oh my God. And so yes, yeah, so this whole thematic, I suppose, and us going into space, it's. It's something that predates it predates humanity itself. So it's a pretty awesome going all the way back to well, what about brewing in space? And I suppose that's where this story started. If you use the India example, they weren't actually brewing in India because the cost of the ingredients and the equipment and the batch sizes and it was all just too hard. Mm-hmm. The first port of call is let's just get it from point zero and get it to where we're going. And then once we establish colonies or you know, we establish infrastructure in the place of where we're going, which will one day be space or one day be Mars or wherever. And that's when it starts to make practical sense to, to start brewing yeah. um, in those new frontiers. And as you said before, Jaron, humans are going to make beer wherever they are, or at least some sort of alcohol wherever they are. Absolutely. Yep. Unless unless we stop being human almost, because we've been doing it for <laughs> many, many thousands of years to this point. Oh my goodness! So, where can people find your um, well, the, the Vostok Space Beer if it can be found, or at least the stout that it's based on? Yeah, the the Four Pines Stout is at the moment. So, throughout Australia, you can get Four Pines Stout and the rest of the the Four Pines beers, which we have tons of. If you want to find where to go, just go to four the number four Pines Beer dot com dot au, and from there you'll be able to find your local stockist, there's Fantastic. thousands of them. We've just launched, pardon the pun, since we're talking about space beer, <laughs> um, but we've, we've just launched in California as of this week, actually. Oh, well um, So you will be able to, if you're listening in California, you'll be able to pick up some Four Pines beer there and also Florida the next couple of weeks. So we're just starting our international expansion bit by bit, but, but right now primarily Australia. 
I do like the fact that you're creating Vostok Space Beer, but the two places outside of Australia, California, where the they launch spacecraft in America, and Florida, where they launch spacecraft. So you've picked the two states that are space-related. Spot on. And we actually, we launched in April, just gone, at the Yuri's Night Parties in at the Californian Science Center uh, and also the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Oh, wow. So, there you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, so they are our two big launch parties for those respective states. And exactly that, because there's such a big space industry community and, and you know, not just the employees in the space industry, where there's about half a million of them, quite literally half a million in the US, but also their families and friends. And space is just culturally ingrained in, in people from the US. You know, years ago when we were telling people from Australia we were doing this, I just kind of look at you and go, oh, you're a bit nuts. <laughs> Whereas you you tell people from the US you were doing this and you know, because they've just been surrounded by space their whole lives and that you know, they just thought it was the best thing ever and you know, they could ask really cool questions about it and they wanted to know more and, and they actually thought it was possible. So but in the last sort of five years or so, space has, you know, in a way become kind of cool again. It's become something that is of private enterprises really getting into it now as opposed to big, large government, essentially government organisations and massive, big multinationals. It's now being done by a lot of small, nimble, agile companies who are, you know, communicating what they're doing really well and putting space on, on the agenda is cool. So because of that, you know, luckily, this project is, is also being wrapped up in and seen as, you know, I suppose, part of that, that cool space, which is awesome. That's, and, I mean, in Australia, as, as of July 1st, 2018, the uh, Australian Space Agency, whatever it's going to be called and wherever it's going to be based, will be beginning. So uh, it's you've really picked a – well, you've been working a long time on it, but Australia is finally coming to its own in its own space kind of way. So hopefully you'll be able to get involved with that too. Well, funnily enough, Dr. Jason Held, who's the chief for astronautics, you know, he's for the, you know, my JV partner, he was on the advisory committee to bring, oh, that, right. yeah, to bring that to life. Wow. Oh, my no, goodness. That's what I'm saying. He's, he's very, very – <laughs> deep rooted in the space industry and very very well renowned. So yeah, it's, that's, um, that, that's yeah, the so best. We, we know all about it. I love I love this story. I'm so excited by the story because it's a it's Australian and for a country that only has you know 26 million people, we're very innovative. It's about space, but it's also about beer, which is very much in the Australian psyche. This has just been the best story. And uh, more importantly, it. it's about humans and our relationship with both space and beer. Because Absolutely. You can have yes. all the all the blinking lights and all the switches in the world, but it, it takes these guys to take that one small hop for man. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I, I think I think we, that's just yeah, I think we just have to finish there. No one could say anything smarter than that. <laughs> <laughs> Jaron Mitchell, the chief of Chief Beers and the founder, one of the founders of Four Pines Brewery. Thank you very much for talking to us today about Vostok Space Beer and your company. Yeah, guys, uh, Greg, Dan, it's been awesome chatting. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. That was much more exciting. It was. It was so cool. I love it. I just love it. And, of course, oh, my goodness. He's got one. Hmm? What's what's Four Pines? Mm. What is it? Is it the stout? That's a Four Pines stout. It literally has certified space beer on the label. There we go. Well Mm. done. Is it any good? It's bloody good. That's that's very nice. And look, by the way, they're not a sponsor. Podcast is over. I'm getting f***ed up. (laughs) 
They're not a sponsor of the show, by the way. We're not. This is not an. Oh ad yeah, I had them. to pay for this. I actually know our patrons have to pay for this. Yeah, that's this right. Is a, this is a business expense. Yes, I kept the receipt and everything. I was like, "Do you want a receipt?" And I'm like, "Well, I can't charge this." To- Wait a second. Wait, you know, I- can we- maybe fantastic. I can charge this. That's pretty good. Mm. So this is so they, for those who just listened to the, the um, interview, of course, that's the that's well, they the just listened to it. version. What do you mean for, yeah, those, for those of you who didn't just like skip forward 50 minutes into the podcast? People might. The last People 10 minutes, never know. That's really exciting. Yeah, oh, Greg and Dan, they take about 50 minutes to like ramp up, but that last 15 <laughs> minutes, that is choice stuff. I'm sure people just go there for the, the, the weird stuff at the end. I'm sure they do. Absolutely. <laughs> so oh, describe I, it, Dad. I always describe, like going to someone a, for the weird stuff at the end. You're a beer end. connoisseur. You're a person who likes drinking beer. Oh, no, so I'm not a beer connoisseur. I'm a drunk. Okay. You're drunk. Sorry. You're, yeah. you're an alcoholic. I, they all taste the same to me. I just, so I'm just in it for the ethanol. <laughs> so what do you know? Honestly, though, what's it like? Well, as I say, it's bloody good. Like, it's, it's got a really lovely body. Yeah, and oh, some cool. weird stuff up the end. Which is great. What? Just like you said before, weird stuff up the end. That, ah. That's what the listeners are in it for, the weird stuff up the end. So that's what I'm in this beer for, the weird stuff up the end. Fantastic. Oh, there you go. For Four Pines Stout, the ground version of the space beer, Dan's now done it. He's doing it for science. He's doing it for science. That's huh? good. Science? Yeah. <laughs> At least for podcasting. For entertainment. Isn't what all drinking's about? Entertainment. <laughs> That bit there, that two-minute bit, that took me about an hour of driving around to find that bastard. Was it easy or no? It was hard. I went to three different bottle shops, and then I had to go to Dan Murphy's to the giant warehouse, and there was one six-pack left. Oh, my goodness. That's popular then, or they don't have a lot of it in there. Interesting. Well, the other places didn't stock it. They only stocked the other Four Pines stuff. They didn't stock the stout. Oh, I see. They got everything. Dan Murphy. Dan Murphy's. Listeners, Dan Murphy's, if you're looking for alcohol, pop down to Dan Murphy's, the big superstore with every single alcohol you'd possibly want. Use the code SE2KB to get receive absolutely nothing. To be stared at and asked to leave the premises. Because premises. We have no, no. <laughs> a very quick walk of shame for this episode 140. Always love a episode that ends in a zero. What with me being a primate with ten fingers. Eric Wilson... We love Eric Wilson. He's very active at the moment. <laughs> in a society, in, in a neighbourhood near you, Eric is very active. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, God. yeah, that has connotations, doesn't it? It does. Yes, police warn that Eric, Eric Wilson, Wilson very is very active in your area. Please yeah. close your blinds. Please get vaccinated, otherwise you may get Eric Wilson. In episode 103, <laughs> 37 episodes ago. Well, in Pimp My Time. Gosh, we've been doing Pimp My Time for a while, haven't we? I'm surprised we haven't run out of places and or time zones. <laughs> Times. Times, not time zones. Okay, in episode 103, I sent you to Kentucky, to which you responded, I will invent chicken. Yes. Okay. It was very clever. Yeah. Quite droll. Quite droll. Thank you. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Whimsical. Whimsical. Yes. Eric says, uh, in fact, the KFC chain actually began in Utah in 1952, if I'm not mistaken. Although if we were talking the actual use of ch- chicken as food, that began in the Hellenistic period. <laughs> okay. So he says that in specific response to this, that Kentucky Fried Chicken was invented in Utah in 1952. Why is it called Utah Fried Chicken? In USC. 1952, Colonel Sanders successfully franchised his recipe to his friend Pete Harmon of South Salt Lake, Utah, the operator of one of the city's largest restaurants. But Eric, 
has made a mistake. He was <laughs> a walk of shame. In the wrong walk of shame. Eric is getting a walk of shame. Yes. Harland Sanders was running a petrol station in 1930 when he started selling the chicken he'd learned to cook growing up. In 1940, he finalised the original recipe. This occurred just outside North Corbin, a small town in the south of Kentucky. Yes! So I'm correct again. So what Eric was saying, and he is correct in saying that the chain of restaurants began in Utah, but a chain mm. is only a chain if it has two or more links. And the place Kentucky Fried Chicken was invented was... Kentucky. Good. I'm glad I was right without realizing I was correct. But don't feel bad, Eric, because it's not like you've failed. You've succeeded in sharing a bit of information, and we've succeeded in sharing it to all of our listeners. And we don't want you listeners to feel worried about sending in various pieces of information that prove us wrong. But, you know, double check it again. I mean, you don't want to be like Eric, do you? Poor active (laughs) bastard that he is. So, if you hear Greg say anything that seems wrong to you, look it up and send it to Dan at smartenough.org. And invariably, when Dan screws up, send it to Greg at smartenough.org. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. You can get along to smartenough.org and click on any of the buttons to help follow us on Twitter, which is SE2KB, or Facebook, SE2KB, or just subscribe to the podcast. Uh, We've been a lot more active on Facebook recently. Get involved in the conversations every Friday. We now have Philosophy Friday, where we come up with a weird idea and how you deal with it. It's been a lot of fun. We had some quite good ideas. Feel free to drop on in and point out why you hate Facebook. Greg says we, but he's putting in the lion's share of work there. (laughs) And I can can only commend you because I can only stay on Facebook for so long before I I ignite an angry mob in my direction. (laughs) It's invariably rubbish. I mean, it is, it is people just yelling stuff out their window that they should probably keep to themselves most of the time. But uh, oh, People well. do not like scientifically backed up facts on there. They say mm. they do, but they do not. No, no. They, they only want, want ones that agree with them. Yes, that's, that's very true. That's, okay, we would like to thank our Patreons. Oh, yes. Yes, our, our, our patrons and on Patreon, not our patrons. Our, but our, yes. our patrons. Our, our, our patrons. Our patrons. Our fathers. Yes, our patronages. Mines are some kind of angry badger, a shining badger in the woods. Patronus? A Patronus? Is that what it is? I don't know. I never read any of those books. I have no idea. So there you go. You've never read the Harry Potter books? Never read the Harry Potter books. Oh, they're pretty good. They have good value. Did you watch the movies? Yeah, I saw them. I saw yeah, the they movies. weren't very yeah. good. What? Read the books. They're good. No, I, 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 I kind of, I was not the right age for them. And then people started talking the about right them. Age. Everyone's yeah. the right age for Harry Potter. No, Green. no, no. I disagree. Let the eight-year-old the, um, in your heart. Wait, I, I, the, um, I. I've got I an read, eight-year-old I, here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them to her. I read the real Harry Potter books before those Harry Potter books. They're called the Susan Cooper Dark is Rising series, uh, and it was very similar. And I went, that's just the Susan Cooper Dark is Rising, but less dark and more silly. And I went, no, be gone, for sure. This will never catch on. Mm. Aha! And now it's now it's a thing. One of those, eh? Mm, yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, now. 
There are some patrons. <laughs> by the way, you should everyone should go read the Dark is Rising series by Susan Cooper. They're amazing. Yeah, go and do they're that. not and they're not fluffy and silly. They're actually really serious books. Oh, they're great. Yeah. I love them. Oh, hell. Yeah, hell. When so, the dark comes rising, like six shall turn it back. Yeah. Six in the circle, six in the track. Wood fire ah, wood fire, bronze, iron, stone. Sex one, magic. Yep. One yep, will, I know that one. One will one will go by himself and six will walk alone. I can't remember. I, look, yeah. that was the poem in it. I it's all wrong though. So there you go. But yeah, read it. Yeah, very serious is not the way to uh, sell things to me. All right, I got to abuse <laughs> some people. Uh, Good. If you if you love the podcast, I'm gonna tut, you, tut tut tut. If you if you love the podcast, you can you can give us like two bucks a month if to, to go to our Patreon. Uh, if you really people- love it and you want your name to be read out, you can pay five bucks. And What's if, really cool, Dan, is people have actually started doing that a lot more now, keep only giving $2, which not only, I don't mean that in a nasty way. I mean, it's still we're getting more and more people who are giving us $2. That's what we kind of wanted. So thank you very much. We're actually really into that. Yeah, yeah. So yay, yay for and, you. And, and look, if you want to give us 5 bucks, and we're, we're really into that too, and we're happy to read your name out. Now, yes. of course, we have the top tier, which I'm not into at all. <laughs> so Your idea. If you're... It's, uh, yeah, no, uh, don't you pin this on me. You're the one who, like, wrote up the contract. Yeah. Okay, so we've got a a sick glut of listeners who are paying (laughs) us fifteen bucks a month, which is too much. I am not worth. That's fifteen dollars US. Yeah. Like that is too much. That's too much. That's (laughs) That's too much. I'm not. You can give us fifteen dollars. Just go to the two dollar one and put in fifteen dollars, and then you still give us fifteen dollars, and we don't have to insult you. So you know that's okay. But this is what I'm getting to. I have to insult these six people. They've paid money. Okay, so. Let's get started. And we do love you. We love you so much, you silly bastards. Yeah, we're, we're sending a mixed message. I'm about to abuse oh. them. Don't tell them you love them. Okay. Al Batson. Al Batson is 21 years old. He lives in Colbert, Washington. Al Batson is 29 years old. He lives in Fort Worth, Texas. 55-year-old Al Batson lives in Frankfort, Illinois. Uh. Nice work being indeterminate, Al Batson. You've been killing cats in there in that state of perpetual uncertainty, you Cock. <clears throat> right. Okay. Scott Driscoll responded to my last abuse to ask, is that all you got? Ugh. Okay. As we mentioned before, we know Scott Driscoll. We know Scott. Scott yeah. Driscoll is. Hey. Uh, yeah, it's, it's me, Dan. Um, my insult of Scott Driscoll was so offensive that Greg actually sat on it for like six hours before sending me a message at 1 a.m. going, oh, we, we can't publish that, Dan. We can't publish it. So he used his power of veto and it's not going in. Sorry, Scott. Hope that was worth 15 bucks to you. All right. What have we done with our wonderful, beautiful podcast? What have we done, Dan? What okay. have we done? The next, oh, yeah, well, that's no, true. It's a, this, this is supposed to be the good stuff down the end. We have ruined it. <laughs> okay. So uh, Eric Wilson. Oh, he's act, who's active in your area. Yeah, top bloke. Top bloke. Tom Seary, he contacted me to say he's a business analyst for an American bank. Oh, what a valuable career. How long does it take to analyse a bank? Two seconds. Is it a bank? Yes. Is it American? Yes. Bunch of c***s, a lot of them. Job done. <laughs> oh, man. We're never, we're never turning this, this podcast into a financial concern, are we? This is never... But what are you talking about? This is how we do it. <laughs> I don't know how we've hit this business model, but it's, it's working. 
I like the the idea like the idea that we've finally decided to ride the anti-banking rage that came from the global financial crisis only 10 years after the event, Dan. <laughs> We're there. Hey. We're on the forefront. Hey, they got caught 10 years ago. They're still a bunch of c- uh, there is that. There okay, is that. Dan Tuttle. Dan Tuttle contacted me to say that he no longer lives in Japan, Ooh. but he doesn't live in China either. He says Ugh. he's actually living in Thailand. And Ooh. you know why? Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, help, no. Everything we say, I just, I just feel like listeners are just I'll tell leave. you why, Gregoire. Oh, oh, no. Because in Thailand, it is legal to hire a little boy to take your pants off and then give him money for him for an and then he'll eat until it's dripping all over his chin and then he'll thank you for it, the sicko. That's going to sound a lot ruder when I bleep it in the right places. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't wasn't where I thought it was going to go. That's, um, yeah. Dustin Fallon. <laughs> Dustin Fallon actually submitted an intro to the podcast a couple of years ago. So why don't we have a, a listen to that back? Greg Waugh and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. But are you? There you go. Dustin Fallon, your voice sounds real funny. And not like entertaining funny. Just like weird funny. Like, you're speaking into the back of a duck and the words are coming out the duck face, you creep. I hope this money makes me feel better later. I really do. Okay. There are also our other patrons who uh, get their name mentioned on the podcast. This week, I thought I would do it in a French accent. There you go. Uh, Merci beaucoup pour uh, Andrew Trasdale. Uh, et à Andrew Witherst, et Matt Hughes, et Elizabeth Ugren, Matt Hughes. His name is Matt Hughes. I, I, can I just get a point? You you live with the Frog Princess. Your darling wife is actually French. C- can we get a second opinion on this French accent? I reckon we can. Hold on a sec. I think it's important. Can you pop, the, pop up right next to the microphone? Okay. Uh, how do you pronounce uh, that name there? Um, Matt Ewers? Matt Ewers. No. Oh, 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 Matt Ewers. That's, look, I thought I was being good early. I thought I went, Dan's just making a mockery of the French accent. We wanted to get it back up, and now here he is. Uh, Now, you're not wearing headphones, but Greg is definitely telling me I'm definitely in the right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go through the rest of the names if you want to hang around for them. Okay, we're up to Elizabeth Yuken, uh, Phil Holland, <laughs> Gyroscope, uh, Lindsay Gilson, Natalie, Steve Eichenhout. Uh, I sound German when I do Steve Eichenhout. People don't realise this. The, the, the frog princess is standing right next to Dan. You can't see her face. I really wish the listeners could see her face. She's staring at, at Dan as if... She can't quite work out what he is, not even what he's saying. It's the best thing in the world. Mm. It's like she's being poked with a pin every time I speak. (laughs) Yes, it's killing a pastor inside every time. It hurts. It hurts. Okay. Okay. Hey, she's quiet in the peanut gallery. Okay, I'm doing a good job here. Okay. Et Mathieu Toy, Elana Michel, Michel Barnes. Uh, there you go. So those Michelle are all... Barnes. That is 
all of our patrons. Thank you so much for donating money to the Thank podcast. I mean, look, please continue, even if Dan's fresh, French accent confused you. Hopefully it aroused you as well. Thank you, Frog Princess. He says, for helping he says, out get the hell out. Go, go away. He's done, you, you, you've, uh, which I think is awful, but thank you, Frog Princess. <laughs> thank you so much. Hey, hey, you watch your mouth. That's my Frog Princess. <laughs> Basically, ladies and gentlemen, we love our patrons, Patreons, our, our patrons. Uh, they help us out. They allow us to create more content. You may have noticed there's been some wild wonders. Why? These are directly connected to the fact that we now make uh, we make a bit of money. So thank you very much for helping out. If you are interested in giving ideas I mean, what, uh, for wild wonders, why or for future podcasts, please let us know what it is. Send us an email with an idea. We may not use them, but we may. For example, in the past, my no moon wild wonders why was based directly on an email from a patron so i gave me a brilliant idea that i ran with and suddenly i had a great amount of content to share with the with the listeners so get in contact with your ideas we'd love to hear about them if you would like to support us please do share us with your friends and family and anyone who will listen we'd love to have more listeners more than anything else if you want to yes. support us even more than that please feel free to go to smartenough.org click on the patreon button or on the paypal button to drop some coins into our tip jar or right. if you would like to get something back for your money Money, you can buy one of these Smart Enough to Know Better t-shirts. Yeah, oh yes, I forgot about it. Yes, right. Or if you buy a t-shirt, if you don't like a t-shirt, you can get the same cool comedy blimp symbol on a, on a tea towel or a sticker, all sorts of crazy things. So have a look at that. We've got a few people buying t-shirts recently. It's been kind of cool. So thank you very much. You can get Four Pines beer pretty much at any bottle shop. But if you want the stout, you're going to have to go to Dan Murphy's. <laughs> We don't normally do ads. I feel very weird about the ads. Um, we're probably never going to do ads, by the way. I, I was thinking about this because ads are annoying. So I'm glad we don't have to do them. So, yes, yay for our lack of ads. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the poor listeners have to sit through me abusing a bunch of idiots. But <laughs> I mean, that can't be any better than listening to bloody Blue Apron or something. Oh, God, another thing about mattresses. I am sick to death about mattresses. I don't give a crap about your mattresses or about your – what's the other one? It's me. Yeah, or what, where you make your bloody website. I don't care. I won't do it. I've reached a point where I will not use the product. I've gone that far now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you uh, shouldn't go to these bloody easy-to-make websites. You should go to civicnet.com who create <laughs> amazing fast-running websites custom-designed for your business. Civicnet.com right. <laughs> Proud sponsor of SmartNut.org oh, no! <laughs> oh no! What have we done? And as we always like to say... Space beer! As Dan drinks a space beer! I'll tell you why, Gregoire! Because in Thailand, it is legal to hire a little boy to take your pants off the line Uh, and then give him money for him for an ice cream for him, and then he'll eat the ice cream until it's uh, dripping all over his chin, and then he'll thank you for it, the sicko. That's going to sound a lot ruder when I bleep it in the right places. Oh, my God. How did our top and tails go for 41 minutes? <laughs> um, That's the uh, f***ing sound. What? All throughout the space beer thing.
I hear this clicking sound. Oh, okay. You're playing well, with that bloody torch. Oh, was I really? Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> that's what it is. I you thought it was something in the kitchen where he was recording. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. <laughs> that's been a source of constant frustration for me. Oh, all I'm so sorry. I didn't even. Realize, I didn't realize I was even doing it. There you go. No, no memory of that. There you go. <laughs> I, walk I, I, the I used time. to worry. I, I used to worry. She's like, I said, are oh, you going to be okay walking up from Roma Street up to you know, the Caxton? And she's like, it's not Marseille, <laughs> Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. The, the biggest that. danger of walking at night here is literally still skin cancer. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point you call someone Miss or Misses is to work out whether they're married, so you can bone them or not. That's the only reason it existed. <gasps> And then we change. It occurred to me. Oh, this <laughs> opens up a whole bunch well, yeah. of new avenues. The, the, Actually, the you, know what, structure. You, you know what I prefer? I prefer doctor so that people know that I'm a man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they say, let's build our own gates and then gatekeep that gate. So you can't get into it. You won't let me into your club. You can't come into yeah. my club. You can't come into like, my club. And if you want to get into my club, I will only tell the truth. But that bouncer, he'll only lie. No, hang on, I'll <laughs> f- this up. Hang yeah. on, I should have one of one of us. One of the, oh shit. No, yeah. we have to. Okay, okay. Forget the. Okay, uh, forget what you what you just heard. Uh, you know what? The- You're not coming in. Those shoes are shit. <laughs> get well. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. Or I'll die, one or the other. Get well or die trying. (laughs) 